This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Sitting next to me, as always, is co-host Eric Eggers. Allegedly. Allegedly what? Allegedly, I'm next to you. You have a bit of a challenge and a bit of a checkered history with the truth. Oh, and boy. Spreading oh, boy. accurate information. And that's what we're talking about. Today. Well, that's that's right. We're going to talk about disinformation today. It's all over the news. And we had a recent event. An esteemed civil servant uh, was um, ceremoniously, she quit her uh, position. And uh, we have this strange situation now. Yeah, the Department of Homeland Security has decided to can the Disinformation Governance Board, which I think the person that should be canned is whoever came up with that title. That's like the worst. I mean, really, it's like comically bad. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be headed by Nina Jankowitz, who I guess was previously known for having a variety of talents. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. And that was pretty atrocious. It's how you and what people don't realize lie. is that's her. Yes, that was wonderful. That was quite atrocious. Uh, that was, in fact, Nina Jankowitz uh, singing about disinformation. And we're going to talk today about disinformation, how we've gone in this country from having disagreements to simply denouncing the other side as disinformation. And it has huge implications uh, for where we are as a country today. Yeah, no, I think, um, ironically, the lady that was in charge of the Disinformation Governance Board resigned in part, and this is what the Washington Post reported, because of disinformation, right? <laughs> like, like she couldn't handle all the things that were being said about her that weren't necessarily even technically accurate. They think some of them were accurate. Absolutely, they were, yeah. But so the idea that, uh, yeah, disinformation, it, it's, it's a delicious and cruel irony. Yeah, and so, you know, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong, killing this board was a great victory uh, because you don't want the government. And again, disinformation governance board, as yeah. if you're going to govern disinformation. Very Orwellian title. It, it is, exactly. And the board symbolizes a larger problem we're having in how authorities and powerful institutions are trying to control information. And this has changed a lot. I mean, I read in high school, you read in high school, 1984 by uh George Orwell. Correct? I did. Yeah. And of course, the main character, Winston Smith, works at the Ministry of Truth, 
which kind of sounds like this disinformation governance board. Are you suggesting that we're going to start staring at goats now for, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for a couple I, minutes I, a day? That, that we may absolutely start doing that. Um, and, and of course, in that book, in that story, uh, each day he corrects old newspapers to make sure that the information is in accord with the current party line. And after rewriting history, he puts the quote unquote incorrect stories in the memory hole which is a slit in the wall, and that is how they deal with information. And that's the way we think of censorship usually, right? Censorship is usually the government saying, you can't see that, you can't have access to it. Well, the way we think of censorship has to change because it's very different now. Because what happens is, and this is what this board was designed to do, they are going to flood the zone, the information space, with false or distracting or irrelevant information and then declare something that is factually true as disinformation. And that's what we want to talk about. And this occurs on multiple layers in our society. It's not just the government, right? Yeah, we're looking forward to having this conversation today because uh, you know, you and I have some experience in this space in terms of engaging with the mechanisms that control information. And we kind of have three main ones we'll talk about. You got the government, you've got media, and you've got uh, big tech, right? And so it's interesting to think that, I mean, this was going to be a government board that controls information. Uh, yet, if you just a, a very quick re- rehash of some things we've talked about on this podcast, the government's track record at spreading accurate information is not what we might call elite. That's exactly right. You can look back at administrations from both political parties. Some of the information that came out regarding the Iraq war, for example, uh, was information, you know, intelligence that was given and it was interpreted in a certain way and it ended up being absolutely false the way that they interpreted it. So government, of course, is a big purveyor of, of disinformation um, and, and also not giving us the full context of information, right? And, and yet they speak with a certain level of authority uh, that we're not supposed to question. If we question, we're somehow being disloyal in the context of a war or we're supporting a pandemic mm. in the context of COVID. What a parallel to draw because I, no, I hadn't, thought about, but I hadn't thought about that, but you're right, right? Because that yeah. was a thing. Look, we all sort of got swept up or we didn't always get swept up, but many people were swept up in what has previously been called like the fog of war. And so to think about weapons of mass destruction and, and the pushback. Uh, and yeah, you were labeled as, oh, well, you, uh, you know, aren't a patriot. You no, don't support these things. And then, but the same thing happened absolutely with the pandemic stuff, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you don't want to wear a mask. Oh, you, you question the validity of some of the science. You question the level of certainty with which the authorities that were tasked were doing those things. Yeah. And you're at, you're like, oh, you must be pro-virus. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, this is what government does, right? When there is an external threat. Yeah or a domestic threat for that matter, uh, whether it's a foreign army, whether it's weapons of mass destruction, whether it is uh, something like a, a uh, you know pandemic or a disease, uh, they use that rush, they use that fear that we have to control information and to sort of crowd out dissent and to basically say, look, we're not even going to engage in a level of debate about this issue. We're just going to declare it's fake news, disinformation, and we're going to move on. And so that's a very powerful way of censoring And again, it's no longer that they are saying, you're not going to say that we're going to use a mechanism of government power to silence you. What they're going to do is they're going to flood the information space with false or distracting or relevant information. Or you're going to get what they call appeals to authority, right? These 50 intelligence officers who said without a shred of evidence 
that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation. That's another example of how they are trying to control information. They've also said that the inflation rate was eight and a half percent. But as we discussed <laughs> on a podcast not that long ago, yeah. they also lacking context, right? We're look at us playing PolitiFact over here, yeah. right? <laughs> it's fact, called cooking the books, yeah, right? It was like mostly false is what we rate that because they did the change, the mechanism by which they calculate inflation rate. And but that's an interesting piece of information they're putting out there that isn't actually accurate. So that, that's exactly right. So government is is certainly a problem, but it's kind of a blunt forced instrument, mm-hmm. right? Because government, first of all, is not really good at this kind of disinformation. You saw the the, the disinformation board itself. The rollout was clumsy. I want to know who is the person that was gonna that was going to vet Jankowitz to see that she was qualified for this job, and they had no idea that she was saying or singing these crazy things on social media. You know, that's an example of how government incompetence makes them not very good at censorship and controlling information. It's a blunt forward instrument. They're not very effective. But when we move to the second group, the media, Mm -hmm. it starts to get a lot more sophisticated because they know how information and words can influence and matter and chart the debate. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's you could also link media and Silicon Valley big tech stuff because big tech is sort of social media. And we did a film a few years ago called the creepy line. where We talked about the role that social media can play in terms of keeping things from you because you don't realize what you're not seeing if they don't put it on the screen. Yeah. But I think with the traditional media, it's a little bit different because I think, as you said, it's they're introducing additional information. They're flooding the zone, uh, but also keeping things from you. I mean, you referenced Hunter Biden's laptop story, right? You know, the New York post was actively reporting on that story. But um, what happened? What did everybody else report on? They reported the opposite. They said, no, 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 that's uh, not accurate. Right. Right. So it was condemnation of the laptop without having any information. They took the word of people that were feeding that. You had these 50 intelligence officers that had no extra information. It was sort of an appeal to authority. And then you get the rise of the fact checkers, um, which is another way in which the media manipulates. And we could talk about hundreds, if not thousands of examples. And you actually had a a personal uh, involvement with this that I want to get to in a second. Mm -hmm. But let me just give one example of the ridiculous nature of where fact checking has gone. And this is from the 2020 presidential debates. And if you remember, one of the issues there was border policy, uh, immigration. And Joe Biden claimed during the presidential debate that the Obama administration had not had not separated children from parents who were illegally crossing the border. So that's a pretty definitive statement. No, we never separated children from parents who were crossing the border. CBS News ran a quote unquote fact check. And they said the statement was true because, and I quote, the Obama administration only separated migrant children from families under certain limited circumstances. So they're saying it's true when Joe Biden says we did not separate children from their parents, but they acknowledge that they separated children from their parents under certain circumstances. Well, I think they just had a more complete and comprehensive understanding of the context than you did. So if you exactly. you ignorant rube, here exactly. you are thinking that simply separating a parent from a child is separating a parent from a child, but it's not if it's only done in certain instances. That that's right. And 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 here's the point. 
what's happening in the country is fact checks are not fact checks. They are different interpretations of existing facts. So Joe Biden is not being factually accurate when he says that, but CBS News is running their own sort of weird interpretation. And my point is, let's have a debate about that policy of separating the kids, how much the Obama administration did it, but don't say it's a fact check when you are spinning the actual facts. And actually, to your point about censorship, when you spin the facts like that, it stifles the debate, right? You don't have the, you don't have the conversation about the policy. Right. You have the conversation about well, it's, you eliminate having to have that conversation because it just never happened. Yeah, and CBS News is silencing people that say, "No, wait a second, the about no, not true. We right. did a fact check on that. Move on." Now, you had an experience with fact checkers as well. Um, scored a bit tell of us a, about that. Scored a bit of a dub against the, <laughs> against the political effect. Tell us about it. Yeah. So in 2018, my book called Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election, which was about election integrity, came out. And if you've ever written a book or if you ever want to write a book, one thing you'll need to know is it's your job not just to write the book, but then you have to sort of do some reporting based on current events to help connect and get some earned media. And so my book came out in August and there was an election in Ohio, I think the Tuesday that my book came out. And it ended up being, you know, what you always hear, the dominant narrative about election integrity issues is that, yeah, voter fraud occurs, but never occurs on a scale large enough to make a difference in the election. And we've got a a lot of reporting that suggests that that's not accurate. Um, but as it turns out, that special election in Ohio, in this congressional district, they had, it was very close. And yeah. I think it, right, there was sort of still too close to calls, maybe like a thousand uh, margin of victory or whatever. Or, and so we said, well, let's just take a look at some of the election integrity susceptibility issues that we raised in the book. And we, so yeah. we looked at the voter rolls. And one of the things that we found is there was hundreds of registered voters in that election, in that specific district, whose birth dates, according to the Ohio data, would have made them be over 116 years old. Wait, you don't want people over 116 to vote? Well, this is where's your compassion. <laughs> where's your compassion? Well, I, I do have a particular affinity <laughs> for the elderly. <laughs> They're so engaged. Right. And of course, like that's ridiculous and it's right. not true. But so the thing I reported on saying, look, this is, this is an example of the data is a little shoddy in our experience, you know. If you don't have good data, we reported on the fact that there was 2,000 instances of double voting that occurred in the state of Florida alone. Right. And yep. that happens when the, the data is kind of iffy and the voter rolls aren't reviewed. And in some cases, there's laws about like which information you need to have to be a legal eligible voter. And so we report on that now. Fact checks that, oh, well, that's not true. Obviously, there weren't over, you know hundreds of people over the age of 117 voting. Um, but the data proved to be correct, right? And so they yeah. tried to label the charge as false. And <laughs> to be fair, there was some other blogs and other websites that picked it up and made assertions beyond what I asserted. Sure. And, and that's what they sort of But the point conflated. is they were fact checking you. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they actually issued a correction. So if you Google Eric Eggerson, PolitiFact, which why wouldn't you? you yes, know? that's exactly right. right. Why would you ever uh, Google PolitiFact to begin with? But anyway, that that's an example of, of a small victory. But, but there's a clear example where uh, they were trying to skew yeah. and claim you were saying things you weren't saying. And they were trying to basically label a... Uh, a disagreement over the interpretation of facts as disinformation. And so we've talked about this as it relates to government. It's a blunt force instrument. We've talked about it as it regards to the media. Well, before we move on to the yeah. media, I think a fun fact that you raised, because you saw this in the uh, Wall Street Journal, is that the PolitiFact stuff, it's fairly recent. Like, So when did when did the whole fact check industry emerge? Yeah, the fact check industry started to emerge uh, during the Obama era. 
And as we're going to talk about in a little bit, Obama, I think, had a profound effect on changing uh, the debate in this country. It used to be, as we talked about, you could have disagreements on what facts meant. But now what happens predominantly from the progressive left, if somebody disagrees with you, it's not a disagreement. They're engaging in disinformation and fact checking. That phenomenon arose during the uh, Obama administration itself. So, in fact, for example, founded in 2007. Exactly. When Obama's running for president. Exactly. So we have government as a blunt force instrument that is trying to uh, suppress information, label it as disinformation. The media does it. The third leg of the stool is really big tech. Uh, And this is something that they've been doing quite prominently. We know, of course, that if you go online, you have the fact checkers, but the actual networks themselves or the actual companies themselves like Google and Facebook engage in this disinformation campaign as well. Yeah, it's pretty humorous when you consider that they anointed themselves as arbiters of truthful information. And we saw it most recently in both the aftermath of the 2020 election, but then also as it relates to any pandemic related stuff. I mean, it's it's sort of unprecedented the times we're living in. This is why it's such an important story because information uh, matters quite a, a big deal. But as we've said before, uh, it was labeled immediately before they uh, had laid up to the election. Hey, you know, results might might not be reported right away. It's, it means the system's working as it's supposed to. And then as soon as they officially declared Joe Biden the winner, then anybody that tried to raise issues was censored or shut off or right. got a sticker put on there. And those, by the way, those issues have been raised in the past right. when Bush won in 2004, won re-election. There were actually members of Congress that refused to certify the election, claiming there had been voter fraud in Ohio. Those individuals uh, were never censored or were never late, you know, labeled as deniers of democracy. Uh, it was accepted, as I think a lot of people would as well, they have their view. I think it's wrong. I think it's wacky, but let them have their view. Uh, it's a disagreement about what happened. How about when the 2000 election was certified and yeah. Al Gore was, as vice president, was presiding over the certification of it, and many of the Democratic electors in Congress would stand up and say, oh, blah, 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 object. And they, like, yeah. they literally, and he's like, no, thank you. But again, sort of even lighthearted moments. But imagine that happened today; it'd be cast in a very different light. It would, and and you and Al Gore, by the way, deserves credit for that. That 2000 election, he could have really made a much bigger stink, but he he recognized what the courts were doing. But that's an example of how we have descended from disagreements about facts, about information, about interpretations, to now labeling the opponent as disinformation. As we talked about, the government does it, the media does it, and big tech does it. Um, and you know. This, in my mind, you have to lay the roots of this at Barack Obama and the kind of progressive view that he has. It's not Barack Obama himself, but I think he symbolizes. So I think coming from POTUS. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let's 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 get it on. Um, And there's really a a great essay that was in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago by Barton Swaim, uh, who writes for them quite frequently. And, you know, he points this out about how we've descended from disagreement to disinformation. And one of the things he points out is that innate in the progressive view that people like Barack Obama and a lot of people, the squad have a lot of Democrats have Nancy Pelosi, uh, progressive believe in the perfectibility of man. Uh, And they believe that all problems can be solved by education. And if you don't agree with my facts or my interpretation, it's because you're ignorant. It's because you don't have the information that I have. So in their mind, when there is a fact, uh, when there's a fact that, you know, the poverty rate in America has gone up in the last five years, 
it's not a question of what caused it or how we can debate it. It's a simple fact that it's happened. And if you don't acknowledge their interpretation of it or their solution, you are engaging in disinformation. So why do you put it then at the feet of the former president, Barack Obama, since you said it's inherent in a progressive viewpoint? So it seemed like it would be more attached to a mindset as opposed to a man. Yeah. And and here's where I would draw the contrast with Barack Obama compared to you know previous politicians, okay. including Al Gore or Bill Clinton. Uh, and Martin Swayman, in his essay, actually talks about a, a, a speech that Barack Obama gave to Google employees in 2007. And this is really Orwellian in a way, if you think about what we're saying, we've talked about the role big tech plays in this. And this is what Barack Obama told employees. He said, quote, the American people at their core are a decent people. There, there's a generosity of spirit there, and there's a lot of common sense. You sense a but is about to come, right? He says, but it's not tapped. Mainly people, they're just misinformed. They just don't have enough information, so our political process gets skewed. But if you guys, Google, give them good information, they will make good decisions. And the president has a bully puppet pulpit to give them good information. So good information. Now, we can all agree with solid information, information that's factual. But again, how you interpret that information, how Barack Obama looks at a statistic that I look at a statistic is going to be very, very different. And you notice the arrogance that's implicit of what he's saying. People will see things my way if you guys give them this information. And that, I think, is at the root. This arrogance is at the root of what we're experiencing today. It is odd to think about the empowerment that that speech to Google is baked in there, and then the behavior that big tech has engaged in over the last 15 years. I mean, everything from Twitter suspending the New York Post's Twitter account because of the Hunter Biden laptop story to the things that we've covered in the creepy line, like search engine manipulation effect, like the yep. way that big tech can influence the the impressions that we have, the ideas we have, just based on when they the orders of which search engine results are ranked or the autocomplete stuff, right? And how there's been documented studies that show behaviors and mindsets change, yeah. election preferences change. Um, it's wild. And so, yeah, but Obama's like, hey, no, you guys just got to give them, give them better information. They're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll do that. We got that. And what the problem is, of course, we're bombarded with so much information now that people don't take the time to interpret it and think through what it actually means. They take the interpretation that is presented to them. Well, and I think it's, it's one other thing, too, right? I think it's we're bombarded with information, but I also think we're confronted much less with conflicting information, information that, that doesn't too, yeah. align with our mindset. There's a book that came out in 2008 called The Big Sort. And one of the things they talk about starting in 1965, people started self-selecting, you know, people of similar political ideologies started sorting together geographically, culturally, socioeconomically. Just, we stopped hanging out with people that were different than us. Right. If I was going to connect it to anything, I would say it's probably connected to some of the Vietnam War fallout, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the major institutions. And the American rise culture. of the left became very divisive in the country in a way it hadn't been in, in really in history. Fun fact, it also led to the growth of the megachurch that we see today. Like Rick yep. Warren was studied dem demographics. And so he built his Saddleback Church, but he understood this sort of sorting principle anyway look at you talking about politics talking about uh organized religion this is this is i like how anytime i here. say that something that's not a movie quote <laughs> i was like whoa 
<laughs> Where did that come? If you actually read a book. <laughs> I'm kidding. Eric reads a lot of books. So, you know, this is the bottom line of what Barton Swaim says in his essay, and I think he nails it, of where we've gone from disagreements to disinformation and the notion that the government would even want to set up a disinformation board. He says, quote, these people often mistake their own interpretations of the facts for the facts themselves. And we saw this during COVID, right? Uh, the pandemic response was going to be, quote unquote, data driven but it changed all the time. I mean, the, 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 the data was there, but it shifted constantly because, of course, we interpret data differently. And, we, you know, nobody has a corner on knowing exactly the full forth, force of what data means. And to your point, anybody that said, hey, wait a minute, are we sure this is legit? Because I'm, I'm not sure that I agree with this policy. You were shunned. Yeah. You were stymied. Yeah. Right. Debate was stifled. Yeah. And you had doctors from, you know, medical researchers from Stanford and Harvard and Oxford University who said shutdowns don't work. And rather than actually engaging them to to talk about the data and what the data meant, they were simply shunned. This is disinformation. It was a way to silence them as critics. So we've been talking about a lot today on a lot of levels. Um, I have to close with another Orwell quote. Find you someone that loves you, listener, (laughs) as much as Peter Schweitzer (laughs) likes quoting George Orwell. And this is uh, an essay or a book that George Orwell wrote on political language. Uh, And the point he was trying to make is that oftentimes political language is designed not to actually enlighten or to clarify, but to obscure. And he said, quote, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. Sounds like George Orwell was familiar with my broadcasting career. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly the part about pure wind. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) And I think the point Orwell's trying to make here is we always have to be very careful when uh, political figures use language as exactly what it means, because behind what they're trying to accomplish is a goal. They have a goal to persuade you. They might have a goal to manipulate you. They may have a goal to uh, change your perception of what's going on. And that's why we have a marketplace of ideas. But it's incumbent upon us, I think, to be good consumers of information. Wouldn't you agree? No, absolutely. That's actually why we started this podcast, right? Which doesn't necessarily make us consumers, makes us producers. But (laughs) we produce this podcast partly because I think we're consuming a lot of information and we think that we try to give information that other people might not get in other places. And and oftentimes I have to give you credit, which is like my least favorite thing to do. (laughs) But but I do think you uh, and people like you have the courage to stand up and say uncomfortable things. I mean, for you to even sort of call out Barack Obama and say that, this rise of censorship and this rise of the dismissal or the the removal of inconvenient interpretations of facts from American discourse that you think he played a role in that. That's something a lot of people wouldn't say. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, I just the, the thing that makes me, I guess, a classical liberal in the sense where I'm skeptical of government power. I don't want concentrated power. The notion that the government or big tech or the media possesses the truth They are the sole possessors of truth, and the rest of us just better fall in line. Scares the daylights out of me. And what you're seeing with this move towards the fact checks Mm -hmm. and the way in which they do them and the notion of, quote unquote, 
disinformation rather than honest debate scares me. And it should scare everybody because nobody possesses the sole truth. That's why we have to have a marketplace ideas. We need to debate the facts and have an honest debate rather than trying to silence people by declaring something misinformation or fake news uh, instead of having an honest debate. That was a great point that, that Ben Swain made in his piece about postmodernism used to be you know 30 years ago. There is no one piece of truth, <laughs> right? No one can have uh, ownership of the truth. Fast forward to people just ask a question to their phone and right. the answer is given. Right. We talked about that actually in the creepy line. It used to be you get a page of search results. Now Google got the answer box. It's right. one piece of information. That's the answer. That, exactly. Um, so it went from there is no truth. It's relative yeah. to there is one truth and I possess it. <laughs> That's the evolution we've seen. Well, thank you for joining us as always on the drill down. Uh, we uh, enjoy what we do and we enjoy getting feedback from you on what we do. Uh, you can find out more about the podcast at the drill down.com. Thanks so much for joining us. 